Well, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Um, we're going to begin in, uh, looking at the end of that chapter today. There is, uh, in his book, uh, The Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, uh, Pete Scazzaro um, is talking about the theme of um, weakness and vulnerability. Oftentimes when we present ourselves to other people, we like to present uh, the persona that uh, I've got it together, I'm fine, all is well in my world. And um, he talks about, in a lot of detail we won't go into, but just how both from a biblical perspective and from just a growth perspective, um, how we lead better out of weakness and vulnerability. And in the course of that, he highlights a Japanese form of art that I've practiced this 15 times today and I'm still going to mess it up. But it's called kintsuji, I believe is what it's called. It's, it's a form of art in which uh, you take a vase or something that is broken. And most of us would look at something like that and, and think, well, that's trash. That just needs to be done with and gone away. And that's what we would normally do with something like that. But in Kintsuji art, um, you instead would take those pieces and begin to put it back together, but you would bond it with golds or with some kind of fancy uh, adhesive that would show up in the artwork so that after the fact, the thing is put together, but your eye is still drawn towards the broken thing. It's still drawn toward the thing that put the pieces back together as much as the whole of the vase or the bowl. And... Um, in doing so, I think what he highlights is that when we come to the theme that we're going to look at here today, it certainly applies that um, when it comes to this theme of what we looked at in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, um, there is this theme of brokenness that's in that chapter. And the brokenness that Jesus begins to put back together um, doesn't make us all smooth and perfect. It shows the cracks. I think we always walk through our lives showing the cracks and the brokennesses, but celebrating the beauty of the blood of Christ and the life of Christ and the will of Christ that's putting us back together and holding us back together. And so last week, we looked through the whole of chapter 6 in 1 Corinthians. And in doing so, we looked at a couple of different issues where the Corinthians were struggling as they were trying to live out their faith in the city of Corinth. We looked at the animosity that existed in the first half of that chapter between these Corinthian Christians, and it was boiling over to the point where they're taking each other to court in a a pagan court and embarrassing the name of Christ, and Paul scolds them for that and calls them to be better. Um, and then at the end of that chapter, we highlighted the, uh, the ethic, the sexual attitude and habit that must reflect uh, the influence of the Holy Spirit in their life, <coughs> excuse me, as, um, as they carried out themselves through, through a city that was notorious for its promiscuity, for just in anything kind of goes attitude. In fact, I think we maybe mentioned this last week, but Corinth was home to the, the temple of Aphrodite, which is the goddess of love. And every night, a thousand prostitutes would just come out of the temple into the city. And so all throughout the city, you would just find all kinds of promiscuous um, and anything kind of goes behavior. And so that's the culture that these Christians were called out of. <clears throat> and so Paul is calling them to realize that when they, made, when they crossed that line into Jesus, they were committing themselves to a, a different ethic, a different way of thinking and living and behaving than they had known before and was still going on around them. And so that was so much fun last week looking at that theme. I thought, let's go back and do it again this week. And so um, I was joking about that. But I did think after that sermon, I thought, you know what, we talked about the what, but we really didn't talk about the how of that. Like, that and that's, that's helpful for us, I think. Well, what does it look like then to embrace a, an ethic uh, of sexuality that, that is, 
it reflects Christ, it reflects the Holy Spirit's work in our life, and you know, what the Bible says, but how do we do that? What does that path look like? And so today, we want to think about the theme of, of healing from or dealing with sexual temptation and, um, and, uh, and struggles, because I think that's real for all of us at some level in our lives. As we, we, we live in a culture that's very similar to Corinth, but the good news, I guess it's good news, but we're not the first culture to wrestle with that kind of thing, to live in a culture where anything goes. Um, Corinth was the exact same place. And, um, and so today, as we look at this and think through 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, down through verse 20, just want us to think about some of those things. And here's where we want to go with this. <clears throat> That an earnest following of Christ with our sexual sexuality grows out of a healthy and growing theology of our bodies. Healing from sexual sin and struggle and abuse, along with the guilt and the shame that accompany that, also grows out of a healthy theology of the body, of our bodies. And so as I learn of Christ's perspective for my body, uh, I can then partner with and lean on him to help me live out his will through my body. And so that's what we really want to unpack today is this kind of a theology of the body as Paul lays it out in 1 Corinthians and we're going to look at a passage in 1 Thessalonians as well as in Romans and, and just kind of gather those together and think through some of them. And there's many, many ways you could go with this, but we're going to highlight four of them um, that I think matter here. And it can maybe help us in some of that. And so let's read through 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, down through verse 20. And then we're going to jump over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and then Romans chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 6 says this. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, and you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit of our God. All things, and again, this is the part in verse 12 and 13 where Paul is kind of quoting some of the sayings that went around in Corinth, maybe in the church, that all things are lawful for me, but Paul would respond, well, but it may not be helpful. Well, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. But Paul says the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is meant for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? And so shall I take them, uh, take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. I should not do that. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who has joined the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and so you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. And so glorify God in your body. Now again, we glean several things about what God thinks about our body. In fact, as you read through those last six, seven verses, he mentions the word body like eight times. He, he emphasizes that theme. But with that in mind, I want you to listen then to Paul, what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, because he, he unpacks a similar um, thinking uh, with some other extra things added to it. He says, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus 
that you, that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress or wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And then Romans chapter 6. In the first half of that chapter, Paul has talked about how in our baptism we die with Christ and we were raised to new life. And, and, and this beautiful picture of the cross being lived out in our life. And, um, and then Paul talks about the ramifications of that. Well, what does that mean then, to be raised to this new life? Well, part of it means what you do with your body. In Romans 6, 11, he says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but instead present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your, and your members, the members of your body, to God as instruments from righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. And so, uh, with all of those things and other things we could look at, we could probably read or fill our whole time with reading passages that reflect upon Scripture's teaching of what the body is all about, our good theology of the body. I want to draw out a few of those things this morning, and I want to give credit to David Platt for a sermon that a lot of this came from. There's a book later I'm going to refer to that was also very helpful in all of this for me. As I just tried to think, well, yeah, but okay, that's the, that's the principle we looked at last week, but what does that look like, and what does that look like in a practical way? And so uh, these are the things that I've come up with. And so um, you may have others as you read through those, and that's a great thing too. But here's the ones I want to present to us today. The first one is this. If I'm going to make progress down the path of healing from or dealing with sexual sin or just struggles in my life, I've got to believe God and what he says about the priority and the purpose of our bodies. I've got to believe God and what he says about the priority, the place that it has in, in, the, in, my, in my relationship with God, and the purpose of my body in dealing with God. You see, believing God in that or not believing him makes the difference because those are two very different starting points. In verse 13, he says, The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is meant for the body. And so basically, if you were to shorten that sentence up, that the body is meant for the Lord and the Lord is meant for the body. And so there's this partnership that goes on there. Now, that little phrase that the body is made for the Lord, um, that's a very different starting point than most of the philosophies and thoughts and attitudes that are in the culture around you and me. The belief in our culture is that the body is made for pleasure, right? And so it's got these desires and these things, and it's meant to make me happy and feel good. And, and, and so the world lives from the philosophy of please your body however you want. But the Bible comes at us and gives us this teaching on our body that says the body exists to please God. Those are two very different things. And so what is our aim with our body? Is my aim self-gratification? Or is my body God glorification? And in that, there's this, there's this thinking, there's this thought process of what is this body meant for? 
And, and so we wrestle with that and have to ask ourselves that question because what I believe or who I believe, whether it's the world or whether it's the Lord, determines much of how I will respond out of that. And so the body is made for the Lord. And we'll get into a little bit more of that as we go here. But also think of that, think of that second phrase that he uses when he talks about, well, the Lord is for the body. Um, that can mean a couple of different things, but one of the things is that God is not anti-body, um, which there was a thinking in that day, in that culture, that your spirit is good, but the body is just all bad, right? Everything material, everything, everything physical is just bad, so it doesn't matter what you do with it. It's just going to be thrown away anyway. It's the soul that's all that matters. But that's not what Paul is teaching He's clear to them that God cares about what happens to your body and in your body and through your body because it's meant for him, but he's for your body as well. He's not a dualist, maybe I guess that's what you call that, with the spirit over here and the body over here. He brings those things together. And what he's reflecting upon is how God has created the body. It is his design, his concepts. Um, and just as you think of your body, think of the amazing things that God wired into you that allowed you to experience the world that surround you, right? Um, think of your eyes, um, the eyes to be able to see so many colors, so many things that you can see in the world around you, um, from sunsets and sunrises to mountains to flowers to all the things from oceans, all the things. There is incredible beauty, and God could have made us just see black and white. It could have been very boring and got the job done, right? I could have survived with black and white vision, but God didn't do that. He wired our eyes to see incredible beauty. And there's great pleasure that comes from that beauty, right? When it's, when it's presented to us. He gave us ears to hear the beautiful things you hear. I'm Dr. Seuss up here now. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but there's ears to hear, right? There's just the amazing sounds. First service had a couple babies crying. Just the, the beauty of that noise, that sound that comes from those little lives. Or it's beautiful music. Or it's the, the words spoken from someone that matters deeply to you. All kinds of things that you hear that are a pleasure to you or the taste to enjoy. Again, we could have gotten through life just fine with, with no taste buds, but we were given taste buds that allow us to taste such a wide variety of things, skin to touch, the ability to communicate and build relationship. And so just in Paul's reminding us that God gave you a body, not to be blah and bland, but it's to experience all the good things that he has for you. God does care about your body life and, and our creation, our design. God is for that. But if we don't believe that God is for the body and the body is for the Lord, um, and we don't believe what God says about the priority and the place of our bodies in our relationship or in our, in our world, we're going to question everything. We will doubt and we'll listen to all the other things, but God is for us and God knows what is best for our bodies. And yet our mantra oftentimes is no one's going to tell me what to do or what to think about those kind of things. And so we have to decide if I'm going to make progress down that line of, of growing and, and holiness in this area, I've got to decide who I'm going to listen to. Am I going to listen to God? Am I going to listen to all the other voices? And there's a lot of them that just keep coming at you saying, you know, it's all about you. Do what's feel good. Do what you want to do. Or do I listen to God? And... Uh, so God who formed you is for you. And this is how much he is for the body that you live. In verse 14, it says, God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Right? This body is not just a, a trash can that's going to be thrown away at the end of your life and never used again. When God resurrects us, just as he resurrected Jesus, he didn't come back as a ghost. He came back with a physical body. 
And you and I are be resurrected in the same way. We'll see that in 1 Corinthians 15 in a deeper way. But listen to what Paul says in verse 51 of that chapter. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this imperishable body... For this perishable body, excuse me, must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And part of that victory is not just a resurrected soul, but it is a resurrected body that that will exist with the Lord forever, just as Jesus' body was like that. And so we have to make a decision. If I'm going to move forward and growing in this area, that first how is I have to decide who I'm going to listen to. Will I listen to the voices of the world around me, or will I listen to the voice of the Lord who is speaking about the value and the priority and the place uh, and the purpose of my body? And then ultimately is to honor him with everything I do. But that leads us to a second thing then. I can believe God, but then I come down to the second thing, and it's this, that we live in a broken world, and so I must bring my broken body to God. Uh, We live in a broken world. I must own that, admit that, see that, realize that. That we live in a broken world, and my broken body, spiritually, emotionally, all the things that go with that, I, I can't just keep it over here and just say, God, this, I'm going to leave that over there. I've got to bring that part of my brokenness to God. The brokenness of struggle, the brokenness of, of fallenness, of sin. I have to bring that to God, just like I bring my heart and my, my, my other things of my life to Him. As you read... The end of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and go into chapter 7, Paul's talking all about the, th- the, si- the themes of, of sexuality and singleness and marriage. And, and you read through this section and you think, man, we, it's hard to live up to those things he says. To be content with what God says to do or, or to be obedient in what God says to do in some of those things. And it's pretty quickly easy to find that, yeah, that our world is broken. My ability to obey God and, and live out what God calls me to be is, is broken. And so the world in which I live is broken, and my body is a part of that brokenness. And that brokenness begins in Genesis chapter 3. If you know your Bible, you know that Genesis 3 is where sin enters into the world, into the story of God for the first time. Satan comes to Adam and Eve, and he tempts them to use their bodies outside of the design and desire of what God had for them. Now again, God had a whole world full of pleasures for them to enjoy, trees and forests and wonderful things for them to enjoy. But he gave them a limit as well and said, don't go to that tree. But again, what did Satan do? He came to them with a physical desire to tempt them and lure them into their rebellion against God. And so they found that it tasted good and it looked good to the eye and it was pleasurable in so many ways. And they fell in rebellion to God. And that sin brought brokenness. That brokenness affected them and God. It affected their relationship with God. No longer was there intimacy and closeness. It, it affected themselves. That No longer were they at peace with themselves, but now there was this guilt and shame. They knew they were different from, from God and from one another. It, it affected with their relationship with each other. They now blamed each other and competed with each other instead of walked in harmony with each other. And even with the world around them, there was a tension and, and a struggle. 
And so we continue to live in that brokenness. And part of where that plays out is in our bodies. That our bodies struggle with weakness, with disability. We wear out. Our physical desires, just like Adam and Eve, are, are sometimes go in all kinds of different directions. We are all, all of us, prone to fulfill desires in ways that are contrary to God's desire for us. And so as you go back to that list of, of sin in verse 9, um, note that that goes in lots of different directions. And all of those sins, all of those things he talks about are, are about desire of the flesh, of the body that kind of just goes beyond where it should. There's something probably good back in the core of it, but it goes well, way beyond where it should. And so we see that brokenness all around us. It's played out in the hurts and maybe the abuses that some of you have experienced. Um, maybe it plays out in the addictions and the struggles and the just the, I wish I could stop doing this kind of things of our life. Each of us are different, but we all have brokenness that is a part of who we are, is a part of our story and our testimony. And that brokenness can cause us to make some decisions that are not always the wisest decisions, if we're honest. And again, that's when we talk about a broken world, bringing our brokenness to God. That's what we're talking about. I must come to him and say, you know what, I'm a lot like Esau, who in Genesis 25, if you remember the story of Jacob and Esau, Jacob's been home cooking, Esau's been out hunting, and he comes home and he's famished. And as he goes to that meal that Jacob has prepared, he, he has one bartering chip. I want a bowl of soup. Jacob won't give it to me. But Jacob says, if you'll give me your, your birthright, which basically is a huge part of the inheritance, um, I'll, I'll give you a bowl of soup. And Esau, in a moment of hunger, physical hunger, compromises and gives away his birthright for a bowl of soup. And scripture reflects on that in Hebrews chapter 12. It says this, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, and that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. Again, a terrible trade, a huge future for just a small moment of, of food pleasure in that moment. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, when he wanted what could have been his, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. He was broken, he was sad about it, but he had made a decision. And so all of us, in our, in our brokenness and the struggles and the f desires of our flesh, we can get ourselves in all kinds of trouble, right? Make compromises that in our sane moments we would never do but those desires are powerful. And so God calls us to listen to him. In verse 18 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he simply says, flee from sexual immorality. There are times when God says, be strong in the moment or stand fast in the moment. But when it comes to these desires of our flesh, he doesn't encourage us to stand fast. He says, flee them. And again, we look at Esau as a bad example. The good example is, is in this picture behind these words, I think it's Joseph. It's Joseph who was being faithful as a servant in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife comes to seduce him, and he flees. He runs fast out of that house. And it cost him. He was lied about. He was made fun of. He was thrown in jail because of it, as the story as he was lied about. But he did the right thing. And so Esau made a short-term game, long-term loss. Joseph made his decision to flee and it cost him in the short term, but he, his long-term gain was his integrity and, and the way God blessed and used his life and built his life. 
And that's the examples of what Paul is calling us to here. He says, every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. And what he's just warning about is the, is the seriousness of, of not fleeing, of just toying with, with our flesh, toying with desire, toying with things that we ought to flee from. And so maybe it's destroyed lives that Paul has seen, reflects upon, or marriages, as we'll get to in chapter 7, or it's damage done to our kids, or it's bringing great hurt and pain into lives of ourselves, or even worse, into the lives of other people because of what we do. It's, it leads to so many other sins, the lying, stealing, cheating, bitterness, hatred, slander, gossip, and, and even murder. Um, in extreme cases. And so, again, you've got Esau versus Joseph and, and, and just this whole idea of in a broken world, we bring our brokenness, our broken bodies to God, admitting, God, I, I know that this is all broken. And that leads to the third thing then, because I admit that there is brokenness in my life that leads me to this thing, that with humility and the help of the Holy Spirit, I have to battle the desires of my body. And those first, that little first phrase is important. I don't just battle it on my own, I have to come humbly realizing I can't do this myself. I can't do this without the help of God and probably even just as much so as the help of a few partners and helpers along the way who will help me in that struggle as I share my burdens with them. So with humility and the help of the Holy Spirit, we battle the desires of our bodies. I have a friend on Facebook who is a... Um, obsessed with Star Trek memes, and he shares them all the time, and they make me laugh, and you may not be a Star Wars, Star Trek person, sorry, that's a blasphemy to compare those two things, the Star Trek person, um, but he shared this, I think, on Friday, and I have not stopped laughing about it, and so this is a Klingon, I believe, um, that this is the first picture when Taco Bell has four tacos for a dollar, it's the excited face, but then one minute after eating those four tacos is the look of uncomfortableness and shock. And so you can replace the face with any face you want, but the principle is the, is the same, right? We're all drawn in sometimes to, um, I think I used to do tacos for four for a dollar back in my youth, if I remember right, and I should bring that back um, because I would definitely give into that easily. And so, uh, but again, we all do that, right? Um, we all fall into those places where we think, man, why did I do that? Why did I go back to that again? Why did I, how do I break this habit and, and this desire or this thing? Is it work in my flesh and my desires? And so we all have that desire we know that will not be good for us. And really, I think one of the things I was struck by this week, and, and I probably knew, I just never verbalized it, but just when you look at the approach towards desire is really one of the things that differentiates you from, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, versus I'm just a person of the world. It's what do you do with desire? Because Jesus calls us to battle it and to tame it and to deal with it in a different way where the world just says, go for it. If it's a desire, it must be natural and you should go do it. And, and just that approach, as I listen and I look and I learn and I, I pay attention to my own life even, that scripture calls us to humbly and through the help of the Holy Spirit at work in our life, wrestle with those desires. Now that doesn't mean it's easy. In fact, it's much harder to wrestle with it and try to fight it than it is to give into it, in the short term at least. But it's when we don't that we find ourselves, as Paul talked about in those verses, where I find it not helpful and I'm mastered by it. And so we can't do it ourselves. We need supernatural help. Um, in her book, Rachel Gilson wrote a book, uh, I think it was last year actually, 
called Born Again This Way, and she talked about her own struggle with, with same-sex addiction and, and her own life and her testimony. And in the course of that book, she has a wonderful chapter on, on just how do you deal with desire um, in James chapter 1. Um, and I just want to read that passage to you and reflect on a, a little bit because it just struck me as I read that chapter that I don't think we oftentimes give enough credit or, or lean into the fact that, man, when I've got desires that are waging, in me, waging at war in me, I really need to fight those with the help of God in my life. Um, it says this in James chapter 1. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own Desire. There's that word. That word desire is what we're going to look at, think about here for a second. All right? That's what Paul is calling us to. It's at work in our life, and, and we are lured, and we are enticed by a desire in our life. Then that desire, when it has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So before we read the rest of it, just think of that. Note that James says when, not if. When you are tempted, not if you are tempted. Because it's coming. All, all of us. We are all broken. We live in a broken world. It is coming for all of us. We're all going to wrestle with this because we are broken people in a broken world. And we can be tempted sometimes to blame our desires or our situation on God, saying, God, why did you do this to me? But that's not James' advice. James' advice is don't blame this on God. We've got to wrestle with the desire, whatever the desire is in our life. That word desire, James doesn't really tell us what to do with it in this text, but Elsewhere in Scripture, the same word is used over and over again in things like this. Romans chapter 6, verse 12. Don't let sin make you obey its desire. Romans 13, 14. Don't gratify the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5, 16. If you live by the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Ephesians 4, 22. Put off the old self, which has deceitful desires. 2 Timothy 2.22, flee desires. 1 Peter 1.14, don't be conformed to desires. 1 Peter 4.2, don't live for desires. And Gilson in her books write this, in the strongest term, Paul writes in Galatians 5.24, that Christians have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In Colossians 3.5, he tells Christians to put evil desires to death, along with sexual immorality and other things. In other words, we are called to move away from desire for evil things. There's a fight that needs to go on. But as I read that list, I'm struck by, I can't do that myself. That's a big enemy to try to face. And so that's why the humility and the help of the Holy Spirit working with God's word is, is key to our life. And so he goes on in James 1 to say this. He talked about one birth, right? One form of, of birth in this story is, well, temptation, desire gives birth to temptation and temptation to sin and sin to death. That's one birth that takes place. But there's a second birth that's also talked about here, a different one, a better one. It says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with, from whom, with whom there is no variation of shadow uh, due to change. Of his own will, of God's own will, he brought us forth. He birthed us by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits for his creatures. And so there are two birth stories going on in this. And it depends on what we do with desire and how we fight it and what we deal with it. And, and, um, and she goes on in her book to um, use a, a helpful analogy, I think, 
As you sit there, there are probably billions of cells that work in your body that are doing all kinds of things unbeknownst to you. They're doing whatever they do. But they're powerful little agents, right? Powerful little things that are, are multiplying or doing their things, making sure you stay alive. And so there is power in a single cell. But she gives this quote, that cancer does not change the power of the cell, but it changes the purpose of the cell. In other words, that same power that's at work for good when your cells are healthy, when it becomes cancerous, it becomes destructive and it destroys you instead of brings life to you. But it's still the same power. And it all depends on what that cell's purpose and, and work is doing in your life. And so when we think of desire, I think that fits well. That desire is powerful, but if I allow it to be a healthy thing, a God-honoring thing, it does great work in my life. But if I allow it to become destructive, it gives birth to death. It gives birth to a lot of negative things in my life. And so James is calling us to think about well, how do we respond to desire. And so I was just ask you as you think about, okay, I believe God. God, I'm going to choose to believe your truth in my life. This is what you say my body is for, my purpose and my place and, and your, your plans for it. And yet I come because I realize I'm broken. And God, I come humbly asking and seeking your help because I can't win this battle on my own. And I think this fourth thing maybe just helps us to realize that we're not alone in that battle because this is the last thing I just want you to show you. Embrace the truth that Christ gave his body to make your body new. The doctrine of the incarnation is very cute at Christmas time when we put little baby Jesus in the manger. That's cute and it makes for a nice holiday season. But if that's all the incarnation is for you, then you're missing the point of the incarnation. The point of the incarnation is that God, who could have sat out in heaven and said, you know what, you people do this. Quit giving into these desires. Quit doing this. Be better. But God didn't just sit out there and do that. God came and he took on a body. And as I think it's Hebrews talks about that, that Jesus, as he grew up, he learned obedience to the things he suffered so he had to wrestle with those things. He was tempted in all things that we are, yet he did not sin. And so Jesus came and he took on a body and he wrestled with those desires. Look at the temptation stories all throughout his life. He's wrestling with these, what do I want? What does my body want? What does the Lord want? What does my father want? He's wrestling with those. And so when we wrestle, when we choose to fight and we choose to try to flee or to manage those things in the way that God calls us to, we don't do it alone. When we humbly come and we ask, Lord, would you help? We have an ally. God has come in a body, and he lived a perfect life, and then Jesus took that perfect life, and he allowed it to be crucified for all of us who are broken, all of us who are sinful, who have not lived perfectly, to pay our price. And then he physically rose from the dead to give hope, not only to our souls, but to our bodies. That there is a plan for those, there's a place for those, there is redemption for those, for our bodies that continue to wrestle and struggle with desire and with sin. And so those things, I think, move us down the road. And then there's probably dozens of other things we could look at and think about in this area. But God calls us to approach those things and to give thought to them and to say, Lord, what would you have me to do with my body? A good theology of your body will help you move down the road of, okay, how do I please God with my body? I have to understand what God thinks about it. And so as you and I think on this today, um, I don't know where this lands in your life. We probably all have different struggles, different things that, that we know that are, that are there. God knows they're there. We know they're there. So I pray that we would believe God, 
I pray that we would own the brokenness and say, you know what, this is, the world was a mess before I got here and I've done nothing to add to the goodness of it. I've just added to the brokenness of it through my own life. But Lord, I recognize your call to, to face that, those desires, to battle them, um, to, re, to, to surrender them, to allow you to crucify them and to trust you in that process of, of the one who came and lived for me and lived like me, that he might be my help, my example, and my strength, that I might find some victory and some growth and progress in this holiness that he calls us to. And so today, we're just going to pray and uh, ask God to help us um, live out a glorifying life through the bodies that God has given us. Would you pray these, please? Our Lord and our God, we come and we, we thank you for these really cool vessels that you have put us in. Um, the things that we can experience, the things that we, uh, we are, and the amazing ways they work. We are thankful for them. But God, we also recognize that they are a source of, of struggle because of sin. We recognize that, that daily we battle these desires, not just in the area of sexuality, but in attitude and in relationship and, and our thoughts and our actions towards others and ourselves and the world. And Lord, it's, it's hard to keep these passions and these desires harnessed. And so, Lord, God, we come today to the, to the one, to Jesus, and we come humbly, recognizing we can't do it ourselves and we need help. And we recognize it's a struggle and it's a battle. We want to fight that battle because you've called us to it. And so, Lord, as Jesus is our champion, as he is our warrior, we just ask, Father, that you help us. We may wrestle with them and battle them all the days of our life. But, Lord, may we always look to Jesus, who uh, is the author and perfecter of our faith. And may we find strength and victory and grace and help in him. Day by day, may we look a little bit more like Jesus. May we be more and more surrendered to him. So, Father, we come and just ask for your help, humbly, in desperate need of it. And so, Lord, we thank you for these gifts. We look forward to a day when these bodies are redeemed, when these sinful desires are gone and, and we're restored and new and, and in your presence and enjoying the pleasures and the glory of heaven. But until that day, help us, Lord, to, to walk faithfully. We love you and pray these things in Christ's good name.